Good morning, Aletheia Church. How are you guys? Good? Good. Awesome. Good to see you guys this morning. Uh, my family and I got back last Sunday. We drove straight through the day. Um, you all right there, Josh? I think Okay. No big deal, right? So we drove straight through the day. So we've missed you guys the last couple of weeks, but um, I, I heard reports of what was going on here and was and really, really excited about that. Uh, for those of you guys that are w- wondering what's going on up here this morning, um, this is Charles Spurgeon. Um, and other than Jesus and my wife and my kids, I have a huge crush on this guy, although... <laughs> He's been dead for about 100 years, so, um, but n- n- probably no guy outside of Scripture has influenced my love of the Lord more than this guy right here uh, in his writing. And so anyway, anytime you find an ugly Christmas sweater with your favorite uh, Baptist preacher on it, who grows a beard that I am very covetous of and very jealous of, um, you wear it. And so that's what I'm doing this morning, and I found out that we were supposed to be taking new staff pictures today, and I ruined them. By doing this, so my apologies. It's uh, what happens when you don't notify me of things, Isaiah. I show up in an ugly Christmas sweater. So, <laughs> uh, anyway, we appreciate you guys being here this morning. We have a lot going on today, uh, and I'm I'm super super excited about it. We're gonna have some baptisms later that I'm super excited about. Yeah, uh, some of you guys are here to see your friends get baptized, and I'm just so excited about that. Uh, and then we're also gonna be sending out a bunch of people who have been a part of this ministry for a while and are graduating here in a couple of days. So we're gonna do that as well. Um, but before we do, um, we have been as a church. Uh, going through a a series that we've entitled Advent Conspiracy uh, for about the last three uh, to four weeks or so. Uh, And although this morning is only the third uh, official part in our four-week plan series, we we did a a sermon last week on a particular Christmas carol that uh, Pastor Stephen led us through. Um, And and what I wanted to do is I just wanted to kind of remind you guys of, hey, why are we pausing? Why are we doing an Advent uh, series? What is the purpose behind all of this? And, And one thing I, I just want to kind of let you guys know is that when, when, if you are a part of a church community and the church around Christmas time every year says that they are celebrating Advent, what they mean by that is that for uh, you know really thousands of years, the church has celebrated this season leading up to Christmas uh, with anticipation um, to worship the fact and understand the fact that uh, at one point in time in human history, uh, millions of people were looking forward to the coming of Jesus and that we as a church can now celebrate the fact that we are on the other side of human history where Jesus has come and we can worship him. And so um, Advent is a time to reflect on the coming of Jesus and worship him, worshiping him for having come already, but also preparing our hearts and our minds for the future reality that Jesus will one day return right, and establish his kingdom and we will worship him for eternity if you're in Christ. And so um, our series in particular is called Advent Conspiracy. And the reason why we've done that is that um, the idea behind this, and there's churches all over the United States doing this exact same series right now. Advent Conspiracy is an intentional effort by the church to push back on the commercialization of Christmas 
and to intentionally focus our heart and our minds and our affections on worshiping Jesus, who is the sole reason for this holiday in the first place. And so we said that the the series has four parts, and we've been through two of them already. The first one is to worship fully. Uh, The second one is spending less. The third one is giving more, which we'll talk about this morning. And the last one is loving all. And so in that first sermon where we focused on worshiping fully and what that meant, what we said was that Christmas begins and ends with Jesus, that there's no other reason for celebrating that holiday outside of Jesus. And and we saw that the pattern in Luke chapter two was that of worship, right? The angels show up and sing the praises and glories of God because Jesus has been born. And as they're singing, the, the shepherds leave their flocks and immediately go and worship Jesus in the stable. And then as they're there, Mary herself ponders and wonders and worships God for all that he has done in allowing her to carry this baby. And two weeks ago, Pastor Daniel was preaching on spending less. And he even pointed out that a couple of months later, the wise men are gonna show up from the far east and they're going to travel to worship Jesus, even though they are these pagan astrologists from the Far East, that they have seen something miraculous in the sky, and therefore they're coming to worship this baby as well. And so Advent is a season where you and I, right, if we're professing followers of Jesus, right, are given the opportunity, right, to see a greater worship of Jesus in our lives, to kind of take a step back, to sit, to worship him more fully, and then carry that into the next year, right, so we might continue to make much of him. Now, then Pastor Daniel preached the following week on spending less, and what he said was that we're, we're called to biblically spend less except where it matters, that we live in a, in a culture, in, a, in a, a nation where excess is kind of just the way we do things, excess of money, excess of gifts, excess of time, right? All these different things that we tend to live life in excess. And, and where we do consume in excess, what would it look like to change that and to spend on somebody in need? Whether it's giving your time to a neighbor who needs something or to be there for a friend or giving money to someone who is less fortunate than you and needs something, that Jesus came for the poor and needy, and we see that throughout his life in the Gospels, and that Advent is a season for us to reflect on being the hands and feet of Jesus Christ in that way. And so as we've been processing through each one of these you know, different uh, uh, topics or, or focuses, right, this week we're going to talk about giving more. And I know that it kind of seems counterintuitive to say, well, wait a minute, Two weeks ago, Pastor Daniel said that I should be spending less, and then this week you're telling me that I should be giving more. Those things seem to be contradictory. But do me a favor and and let me kind of give you some premise of where where we're going with this and why I think this is important, and you'll understand where we're coming for because I think once we get through this, you're going to see that what God asks of us in our giving is a lot different than what we tend to kind of focus on in our mind when I say, hey, you guys need to give, right? The first place that your mind is going to run to is not necessarily what God is often referring to. So do me a favor, all right? We're going to do an exercise right now. So everybody focus in with me right here. I need, I need your attention, right? If you got a pad of paper or whatever else, write something down or whatever else. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to think back to your childhood. So for some of you guys, that was like five weeks ago, right? <laughs> for me, right? That was about like 15 years ago, right? But think back to your childhood. And I want you to do this for me. What is the fondest memory you have as a kid? 
Like as you're sitting there thinking, what? Like if you think back to your childhood, man, like that was awesome. Like I'll, I will never ever forget that. Something that really sticks out to you for whatever it may be. Think about that for a second and write it down. Right, write it down or put it in the back of your mind, just think on it. For me, right, it's eating Vienna sausages and spam on the bank of a river f- fishing with my grandfather. And if any of you guys ever have Vienna sausages and spam, that stuff is nasty, right? <laughs> so the fact that that is a fond memory for me shows something different. Now, all right, now, show of hands, I need, and I need people to participate, because every time I do this and I ask you guys a question, like six of you raise your hand, the rest of you look at me like I've lost my mind. Okay, so... As you thought about that memory, how many of you guys, when you thought about your fondest memory, you thought of a gift you received? I see like two hands. How many of you guys wrote down a meaningful interaction with a loved one or something that happened with loved ones? Most of the room, right? Look around, see? All right, now think about this. This holiday, right, Christmas, right? We're gonna be celebrating it here in just a few weeks right? We're going to get up and there's going to be a tree and some of you guys still think Santa's around. Um, cool. Do the Santa thing. I don't really care. Although he would want you to love Jesus, the real Santa, um, St. Nick. Um, but Christmas has become obsessed, at least in the U.S. and I would say worldwide, has become obsessed with giving and receiving presents. The entire holiday is centered around that idea. Right? My gospel community this past week was talking about this, how we've even taken gift giving and made it miserable for ourselves because we've turned gift giving into a, a, a currency. Right? How many of you guys, if you get a gift from somebody and you didn't plan to get them a gift, you feel guilty and feel like you have to run to the store and get them a gift? Right? Guys, a gift is supposed to be just that, a gift. Right? Something you enjoy from somebody, and yet we treat it like a currency. Right? It's like that terrible episode of The Office where Michael breaks the rules for White Elephant and spends a hundred and some dollars on an iPod when everyone else spends $15. Right? It's terrible. Right? And it ends up being really awkward. Why? Because they've turned gift giving into currency and a measure of how much somebody loves somebody else in monetary form. And so here's the question, though. Should we, if you were a follower of Jesus in here this morning, should that really be the way we respond to this holiday? Like, is that what God wants of us? Because I would say this, Advent seems to be from what I can see as we study through this and we process through the scriptures and what Jesus teaches us about following him and knowing him, Advent is an opportunity for the church to celebrate that the greatest gift God ever gave was his presence, not presence. Right? And some of you guys are like, you're too Southern and you can't distinguish between what you're saying there. I don't understand. <laughs> right? Presence, like being present with us and gifts, right? The difference between those two things, right? That the greatest gift God ever gave was himself, not something of monetary value, right? Here's the reality, right? If we understand what the Bible teaches about our condition as human beings, we are all in the same boat, right? Everyone in here starts with the same slate, right? That we, are, that we are broken and rebellious towards God from birth, meaning we are needy. And in that need, what Advent teaches us is that God comes and he gives us his presence in our need. 
right? Think back to the scripture reading there that Sarah read for us from, from John 1. John spends the first 18 verses of his gospel unpacking for us the beauty of God giving us his presence, right? As I read that this week, I couldn't help but think, have, have I become, right? I've been a, a follower of Jesus now for like 15 years. Have I become numb to the truth that God became man, and didn't just become man, like started out as an infant. Right? Anyone that's ever been a parent in here or has taken care of an infant, you know how mind-bending that is. That the, the infinite, all-knowing, powerful God of the universe needed to be changed and fed consistently and couldn't even burp himself. Like that, that is crazy. I mean, look at, look at, John, look at these, just these first five verses in John chapter one. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. I mean, th think about that for a second. The word the word was with God and the word was, what? Was God. Meaning, that, that just so you guys are aware here, this word that John is referring to, he's talking about Jesus. And he's saying, hey, in eternity past, Jesus has always existed. And in that existence, he was there from the beginning. When you read Genesis chapter one, Jesus was there speaking everything into existence. And then we get to verse 14 and look at what he says. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who cries after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Right? He says there, the word became what? Flesh. And dwelt among us. Right? When, we, when we think of the glory of God, Right, when we see his glory full of grace and truth, right, John says no one sees or knows or understands the full magnitude of the glory of God except the son who has been there for eternity and that son manifested and became man, putting on human flesh. And the word who was at the father's side has come and invaded mankind to make God more fully known to us. Guys, Christmas is about the incarnation of God as an infant baby. Right? And I remember before I was a believer, right? Like the two biggest holidays where Christians get the craziest is Christmas and Easter. And the things that they celebrate are crazy, right? Christians believe that God became a baby 
and we celebrate that every year because, it w- because it's a mind-bending reality. And then at Easter time, we celebrate the fact that, that that same guy was crucified, wrongfully, buried, and then three days later rose from the grave. We believe some wild stuff because it's true. Right? And we celebrate this fact that according to John, that that first Christmas is marked by the fact that the infinite, all-knowing, all-powerful God of the universe became a finite, infant, human baby who was still fully God. That baby would grow. He would mature. He would obey. And he would ultimately be God's rescue plan for the entire human race. As Jesus lived, he also modeled something for us. That the ultimate gift we can give anyone is the gift of our presence, actually being there. Let me show you five examples of Jesus giving his presence and how he greatly blessed those around him And it had more to do with him being there than it had to do with the actual thing that he was giving to them, right? Um, So we're going to have these up on the board for you guys or up on the screens, right? And we're going to go through each one and we're going to look at a little story. But what I want you to see is this, right? That, That as followers of Jesus, right, Jesus modeled for us this, this concept of when we give to others, the primary thing we should be looking to give is not something of monetary value, although it can be, but the primary thing that it should be is actually giving our presence to them, being there for them. So let's look at this, right? Five ways in which Jesus gave his presence and how it greatly blessed those around him, right? Uh, Matthew chapter 8 uh, verses one through four, right? Jesus is going to um, give his hands. And, and just so you guys know, um, I stole some of this from Pastor Daniel and he, said, he called this part his hands. Pastor Daniel, I don't know if I would call it that, but I couldn't think of something better than what you wrote. So I'm just gonna go with it. Anyway, <laughs> right, but here, here's what he does, right? Look at what Jesus does here, starting in Matthew chapter eight. So when he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him and behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him saying, Lord, if you, can, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priests and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. Right, like Jesus, Jesus meets this man, right? He meets this leper, right? Who's being ostracized by his own people group because of his disease, right? And Jesus meets him and says, yes, I'm willing to heal you. He gives what he has there and he lays hands on him and giving his presence to this man. Now, something to think about here, right? Because you may not have the ability to heal somebody. But God has gifted us all with gifts, talents, and abilities that can be used to encourage and heal others from brokenness. I mean, I personally do not have a mechanical bone in my body. Right? Pretty much anything I touch in my house, if it's broken and I try to fix it, I make it worse. Right? Right? Like Some of the times where I most greatly need to repent in need of God's grace is when something with plumbing goes wrong in our house. My wife can fix stuff and I can't, right? Like it's the ultimate, just like with somebody that struggles with respect, right? And needing to feel like machismo, there's nothing better than when your wife installs a sink and you can't figure it out. 
It's like a view God just sitting there going, <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> right? But every time something breaks with plumbing, I just tell Jackie, call the plumber. I don't care. I don't have time for it. They're, they're, like, I don't care how much money I make. This is worth not dealing with it. Right? There'll be other things around our house that I'll try to fix, and, I, and I'll start the process, and I just can't do it. I have been blessed by people in the church, though, over the years that have a mechanical mind that come over and just take care of things for us. They just say, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll come over and fix that for you. Yeah, when, when can I be there? I, I went for years without air conditioning in Virginia, and we moved down here. We brought that same car foolishly, and I realized after being in this state for about 20 days, I was either going to melt in my car, get the air conditioning fixed, or get a new car. Right? Someone in our church, oh, yeah, I think I could take a look at that. Like $25 later, fixed it. Right? That you can be a blessing by using the abilities and using what God has given you with your hands to be a blessing to those around you. And it meant being present to take care of it. Now, the second thing we see is this, right? Jesus gives his time, right? Turn over to Luke chapter, excuse me, he gives his words. Turn over to John chapter 4 with me. Right, look at what he says. And I'm not going to read all this. Uh, if you want to know the whole context of the story, this is one of my favorite stories in all of Scripture, but verses 1 through 26, it's just an amazing story. But I want to just read a few verses, starting in verse 7 to you. Right? It says, A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria. Let me, let me just translate to you what's going on here, right? Jews did not like Samaritans, and men didn't talk to women in this culture. Jesus is breaking all the rules here to give this woman his time and attention. Now look at how this continues. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give will give the water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Right, so here Jesus meets this woman at the well. By the way, just so you know, this is happening about midday. Women didn't go out to the well at midday. The reason that this woman is going out at midday is because she is an adulteress and no one in her community can stand being around her. She's been shunned. And yet here is Jesus at the well meeting this woman, talking to her, loving her well, offering her new life in him. And as the story goes on, he ends up telling this woman, uh, talking to her about her sin and calling her to repentance, and she believes in Jesus. Why? Because he came with his words and, he, and to this woman that was unloved by her community and talked to her and shared the good news with her. We can give the gift of our presence to people through using our hands and our abilities, but we can also do it with our words, right? With words of encouragement, right? Telling people about what God has done for them and listening to them and speaking life into them. The third way that Jesus gives his presence is with his time. 
He does this in Luke chapter 19, where he meets Zacchaeus. It says, and he entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. So basically, just imagine Zacchaeus as me and place me there, right, a couple thousand years ago, and can't see over the crowd. It's my whole life. It's okay. I've always been the kid in the front picture. I'm over it at this point in time. I've got about six weeks until my eight-year-old son's taller than me. It's going to be fine. It's going to be fine because I'm going to be taller than my other son because he dipped into the wrong gene pool, right? (laughs) So he, that's Zacchaeus, ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. Now guys, I, I just want to pause here. Zacchaeus is a tax collector. These guys were hated like more so than Romans because they were Jews who were collecting taxes for the Romans, who the Jews did not like. And not only were they collecting taxes for the Romans, who they did not like, but they often took more than they were supposed to and pocketed it themselves. And there's nothing you could do about it. So like, whenever you see in Scripture them say, hey, he's with sinners and tax collectors, right? basically what they're saying is, yeah, think of the worst person you can think of and then add tax collector on top of it because they're worse than those people. Right, and so Zacchaeus is one of these guys. He's not liked by anybody, right? And yet Jesus stops, sees him up in the tree, and says, "Come down. I'm going to go to your house." And so he hurried down and received him joyfully. And when and when they saw it, they all grumbled, right? Why? They hate Zacchaeus, dude. This guy sucks, right? Like we don't like this guy. He's a jerk. He steals our money. Why is Jesus talking to him? He's a prophet. What's going on here? He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Right? Jesus stops. He's been doing ministry. He's busy, and yet he stops and gives his time to Zacchaeus, who was hated and ostracized by his community for good reason. Jesus calls him to come down, spends time with him, and Zacchaeus ends up coming to faith and repenting. How many of you guys know the power that simply comes with spending time with a a loved one? Like, my grandfather did this so well. When I think back on my life and just, like, growing up, my grandfather, like he, when he retired, he would spend entire weeks of the summer with me, just going and doing stupid stuff with me. It's like, oh, let's, you know, let's just let's drive up to your your great grandmother's house and just, you know, go go stand out in the woods. Oh, let, you know, let's let, let's drive down to the cabin and go go fly fishing for the afternoon. Right? Let's let's. Just, he would consistently spend time with me, with my sister, with my cousins because he knew what was important, which was investing his time in us. And, it, and it's made a huge impact in my life. And God calls us to do the same thing with our time and our presence in the lives of others. If you turn over to John chapter 11, the next thing you'll see is that in giving his presence, he also gave his heart. Right? I'm not going to read this story, but here's what happens. Right, Lazarus, um, a, a close and personal friend of Jesus, uh, dies before Jesus can get there. 
and, and the, you know, the family's weeping, they're upset, they're like, if you would have been here earlier, Jesus, you just could have saved him, you could have laid your hands on him and everything would have been okay. And as they're mourning and weeping over the death of Lazarus, Jesus weeps. Right? He mourns and loves his friend who has passed away just like anyone else does. Right? Guys, one of the things I've, I've seen over the years in the church and one of the things that I think maybe if, if you take anything away from, from what I'm gonna say this morning, take, take this away if you're a believer. If you've got a friend that's going through a hard time, right, I think we have a tendency to just be quiet because we don't know what to say. Right? We're afraid of doing something offensive or, or, or whatever else. Right? And, and the scriptures just tell us really simply, you can love somebody just, say, just by saying something simple like, I hate this just as much as you do. I hate it. I'm here with you. When Jackie and I were walking through uh, Josiah's medical issues, the amount of times that people would apologize for saying the wrong thing or whatever else, you know what was nice? That they just wanted to say something to us and let us know that they cared and they were praying for us. Right? That you can be there for somebody. And it, guys, guess what? If you do say something wrong, just own it. It's okay. Right? But we're called to be there and to give our presence with people and to love them well by giving our heart and weeping over what makes them weep and rejoicing when it's worth rejoicing about. And the last thing we see this, Mark chapter 15. Jesus gives his very life. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani. Sorry, my Aramaic's really bad, guys. Which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, behold, he is calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the son of God. Right? Ultimately, Jesus gave his life when he had done no wrong. And Jesus tells his disciples all throughout his ministry, the Son of Man is going to be given over to wicked men. And what he's teaching them and saying to them that ultimately, when Jesus goes to the cross, he's going to take on the penalty of our sins, the sins of mankind. That he's going to go as an atoning sacrifice for the wrath of God for our rebellion towards him. And in one of the other gospel accounts, as Jesus cries out there at the end, he looks and he's up to God and he says, it is finished. And I always love that line because it's the last thing Jesus says as he hangs from the cross. And what he's saying there is, hey, he's not saying it is finished because I breathed my last breath. It's not finished because you finally crucified me. Not it is finished because my ministry is done. No, it is finished. The wrath of God has been satisfied for the sins of humanity. that the rebellion has been paid for. The penalty for sin was paid in full. And the ultimate way that Jesus gave his presence was just, wasn't just that he showed up as an infant child being celebrated by angels and his mother and shepherds, but that he ultimately gave his life to the point of death, death on a cross. He gave the gift of his presence 
And I think we tend to focus solely on that last part that Jesus gave his life, but he gave so much more. He gave his heart. He gave his time. He gave his words. He gave his hands. And these are all things that we can model as well. We have said that Advent is a season for us to reflect on the coming of Jesus with thankfulness and to worship him. That's, that's what this is all about. That's why we're celebrating Christmas. That's why we're gonna get time off from work around Christmas. It's why the university, right, whether they wanna admit it or not, gives you a Christmas break, right? It's why, right, we, we will sit back and we'll spend time with family and some of us who haven't been to church in years will still show up around Christmas and Easter time because it's, it's built into the DNA and the fabric of who we are as people, Right, and what we've known about God for years and years and generations and generations. But I would encourage you that in this season leading up to Christmas, one of the ways that you can reflect on him with thankfulness and worship is to look at the life of Jesus first and foremost. The things that we just looked at from those five characteristics that we saw of Jesus giving his presence and just worship. Be thankful for what he did. He doesn't demand any repayment in return. He doesn't ask anything of you. He just says, hey, I came and I gave my life willingly as a sacrifice for you. And then respond to the life of Jesus as a model for your own. We learn from Jesus that the gift of our presence in others' lives can be a great blessing to others that makes much of Jesus. I think we have a tendency now, and you know, years and years removed from the early church, that when we use the term worship or we say something like, hey, we're going to worship, we think, hey, there's going to be a band and there's going to be some music, and we might sing a, a psalm or we might sing a hymn or we might sing a contemporary Christian worship song, and there might be a fog machine, depending on what your background is, right? But we all attach this idea of worship to just this idea of music and we leave it there. But when we read the word of God and God calls us to worship him, it's with our very lives. That music is very much a part of that. As I said even a couple of weeks ago when I preached on worshiping fully, but it's more than that. It's a, it's a posture of our hearts to love those around us the way that Jesus does. We learn from Jesus that the gift of our presence as a blessing to others is one of the greatest acts of worship we can give towards him. We give ourselves to others just as God gave himself for us. As a pastor, I have had the privilege of watching hundreds of people live their lives in this way. It's one of the greatest things about being a pastor is seeing people love Jesus and want to serve others well and to give their presence to bless the world around them. People like Ruben and Mariana, who are the pastors of the church that we help plant in Barranquilla, Colombia, who for years, right, have given their time, their money, their talents, their gifts, their treasures to both share the gospel with people in Barranquilla, but also to love kids in some really poor and oppressed parts of that city where no one else loves them and loves them not only to give them tangible goods to love them well, but to also share the most important good that they can, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Friends like my friend Michael, who's a software engineer at Facebook, but also for years worked and used his skills to develop apps 
that would share the gospel in different languages around the world so that anyone who might have a question about Jesus might have the opportunity to hear about him, whether there's someone around them that knows Jesus or not. Numerous people, some of you guys sitting in this very room are trained to become doctors, nurses, nurse practitioners, physicians, assistants, and whatever crazy new term that the medical field is going to throw out for some new job, right? In the next couple months, training and using your skills in medicine to heal and serve people because you care. And what I see in common in all these different people that I've had the privilege of serving alongside with for the last 15 years is they love Jesus and they want to make much of him. And I am not saying that there aren't people that don't know Jesus, that don't love Jesus, that don't serve and love people, but I can tell you this. In my experience, and again, I'll be 34 here in a week, so I'm young. Some of you guys are in your 20s. You're like, no, you're old. Just wait till you're 30. 30s are young. In my 33 years on this earth, no one loves like, like true followers of Jesus do. Right? When you, if you go to a, an area ravaged by a, a natural disaster, the media is there for seven days. Guess who's there for years helping rebuild? Christians. If you ask the people in those areas, they'll tell you that. Go ask some people in New Orleans after Katrina hit. People going back for years and years and years to help rebuild. Go, go talk to some people up in the panhandle. Right, the media's not there anymore. But different Christian and religious organizations are sending relief consistently for years after this to help people rebuild their lives after that hurricane came through. And this isn't to to look at Christians and say, look how great we are. No, this is to say, look how great Jesus is and why we serve people the way that we do because Jesus is worthy. And we might serve people in this way, love them by giving our presence because Jesus has empowered us to do so so that we might see a greater worship of him. Here in a few minutes, we're gonna hear testimonies from people whose lives have been changed by Jesus. Right, they're going to share their testimony, and we're going to baptize them, and then we're just going to celebrate. I, I love baptisms. It's like awesome party every time we do it. Right, just celebrating what God has done in people's lives. But remember this. Jesus empowers us to give our presence to family, to neighbors, to coworkers, to classmates, to those around us, to love and to serve them. And we can do it because God did it first for us in Jesus Christ. The gospel says to you and me that we are broken sinners, unable to save ourselves and earn God's favor. And so Jesus brought his presence onto earth, died in our place, lived the life we couldn't live, and then rose again to offer us new life. Why? To save us so we might worship him. Advent is an opportunity to respond to Jesus and follow him. If you're here this morning and you are not a follower of Jesus, I would encourage you, make today the day. If you're here because one of your friends is getting baptized and you have no idea why you're even here and what's going on, ask your friend. 
Ask them, why, why should I be a follower of Jesus? Why, why is it worthy to give my life to him? What, what will change? What will happen? I can share from my own experience. Only Jesus could do what, what he did in my life, the way that he changed my life, the way that he rescued me from myself. And there are going to be people up here this morning sharing that same story And if you have responded to Jesus and you do follow him and you do know him as your Lord and Savior and King, give the gift of your presence to people in this holiday season the way that Jesus did with your hands, with your words, with your time, with your heart, and with your life. Will you join us Together as a church, can we join together to do that, to make much of him? Let's pray and ask that God might empower us to do so. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the ways in which you love us when we are unworthy and undeserving. God, I thank you that ultimately you gave us the life of your son so that we might worship you. That there is no other way to the Father except through him. God, might we spend this season leading up to Christmas intentionally living in such a way that we would plan to spend less, to focus more on you, to give more of our time and presence to others around us. Lord, so that we might be blessed by it, but more importantly, Lord, so that we might worship you and make much of you because you are worthy. Father, we are not here this morning to just sing some songs. We're not here this morning just to get together and hang out. Those are all beauties of the church and things we get to do together. But ultimately, Lord, we are here to lift high the name of Jesus and make much of him. May we do that in the remainder of our time, both in song and communion, as we come up and we take the blood and the juice and then we reflect on the fact that Jesus gave his flesh and his blood for us so that we might be forgiven of our sins. And then, Lord, might we worship you as we celebrate changed lives in the waters of baptism. And, Lord, might we celebrate you that you are sending men and women from this city out to go be disciple makers all over this country and all over the world. Father, help us to make it all about you, and I ask this all in Jesus' name.